Hey everyone, welcome to Expansion Cast. Expansion Cast is a magical podcast I created so people could find simple or unconventional solutions to expand their personal awareness and experience. This podcast is dedicated towards revealing people's divine truth and how that divine truth works its way out into the world one by one, helping liberate each of us on our personal path to freedom. If you love this podcast, please give us a rating and share. Deborah Mousseau, welcome to Expansion Cast. Thank, thank you for you. yeah, thank you for joining me today. I met you online and through a Speak and Inspire course, and you were by far the most interesting person at that whole course. Strangely enough, it wasn't because of the content or anything. It was more about your character and the energy that you brought to your talks. After looking at your biography that you sent me, I can see why your energy was so much different. And that and that's impartial. <laughs> it's a semi-biography. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, it's huge. And there's so much here. You're, you're such a colorful person. Um, and I, I noticed that... Like there's a lot on here about, you know, meditative lifestyle and spirituality, uh, philosophy, and really diving into maybe a lot of history about all these practices that you've been you've been looking at and maybe and really diving into and experiencing. So on these this journey of yours, I would like to know what started this pull to be a journeyer and how it is that you're answering the request to fill this lifestyle. Okay. Well, it started the call or hmm, the idea to wander started when I was 16. At 16 years old, I had my own apartment at that time. It was a basement apartment. And um, I, I, I think we had spoken about duality uh, at one time in the uh, Speak and Inspire course, <laughs> when I wrote about duality at it as its best. And in that apartment, um, I was going through a huge awakening, which I didn't know uh, what was happening. So I became afraid of it. So I, I actually took a wrong route after this awakening. But there was another part of the um, of that experience where I was, I had books all around me, like Carl Jung and Neumann and uh, Sukhrahoff or whatever, all of these books, these deep thinkers. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I was basically 16. I had left home at 15. So I wasn't really, I didn't meet anybody to pull me in this direction. It just was something that came of interest to me. And at that time, I, I had two messages. One was uh, that my, my parents are the byproduct of their conditioning, which didn't come in those words, but there are my words now today. Uh, it came through a lot of deep thinking, and then this answer appeared. And it was, my parents are there the way they are because they're suffering because of their suffering in their own life as their children, in, as children themselves. So this was a, a huge awakening, but it was a mental awakening, not an internal awakening, which are two different things in my perspective through my experiences. The other what message was that I was to wander, that I was to, and it came as a visual, and it came as wandering ancient lands and I was not asleep. Um, it wasn't a dream. And so I never had these thoughts at all before. So they appeared, they appeared to me, but of course at 16, I kind of just let them go. And it took a long time before I finally made the decision to actually physically wander. And it came from never, the, the actual wandering came from never actually leaving me. 
but at the same time, it wasn't strong. It wasn't strong enough to make any moves. Finally, when I, I went through a depression, I had another awakening. And that awakening was, I am the owner of all of my ills, of all of my suffering, of all of my design, my desires. I am the chooser, the writer. I am the narrator, the editor of all of it. So I spent 10 years in deep suffering, but I was a functional sufferer, which I think I mentioned to you as, as well before. So I was saying, I was suffering during the night and during the day, I was a producer, high producer, very intense work, et cetera, and et cetera. But this suffering um, brought me to this place to look at the suffering <laughs> and to say I'm the creator. At that point, I think everything in my whole being completely shifted where I was holding so much anger and so much sadness and so much despair that I, I just flipped almost the other way around. And at that point, my soul dream, which was to wander, came flooding back to me and I had to face it. So how old were you when it came back? Well, I'd say 45. 45, and then when I actually made the move, it was 50. So when I got the message was probably around 45 or maybe even a little bit earlier, but not much, but 50 was when I left. So to actually get. Yes, yeah, interesting. So I, I guess I should ask and maybe clarify for the audience, because what piqued my interest was that in your journey that you're on right now, you are completely surrendering to the next moment, to the next moment. Yeah, pretty much. So what does that look like to you? Like, how, where do you find the courage to just surrender to the next one, to the next one? You know what, you know, so many people maybe get callings and, and like when you were 16 and they just figure it as part of the imagination and let it go or don't have the courage to actually move and seek and follow that inspiration, how do you do it? Like, where's your source of courage come from? That's a good question. Uh, it comes from various points, not, not particularly one point. It comes from accumulation, accumulation in the sense of getting what I want when I want it, how I want it, which is sort of, you know, American and Canadian, um, how would you say, you know, they're, they're, they're basically, this is our, our feature, this is our impulse, this is our addiction, is to accumulate and to get and to associate with accumulation. So that was a point when I was before I left that actually was like a convincer for me that this is what I had to do because of this accumulation factor that I was feeling sick about almost. It was uncomfortable. Um, I, I also felt, I also saw the, the other side of the world, not by movies or anything like this. I'm not even a TV watcher or I don't care about movies and stuff but of course i've seen some things on tv that show the poverty of people and you know the contrast between us i mean it's just phenomenal and i think that that also was part of that as well it just seemed like how can i be accumulating all this stuff when the rest of the world is is suffering so much or has so little what's what is that what is that all about? So this was one motivator. Um, another motivator was to see through all of my work that I did, my interior work that I did on myself, whether that would actually, whether I would actually stay strong or whether I'd be beaten down. <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> whether we'd be able to, you know, uh, walk in my truth or whether I would be walking in circles. So do you find that you're doing a bit of both sometimes or are you? I think it's definitely both. Well, I think I know it's definitely both. So there is a dance going on there between how much I accumulated in spiritual wealth and my solidity at that point in time when I finally left, plus living my first destination, which took a long time to figure out because I was not looking at destination. I was, I knew I was going somewhere, but I didn't know where I was going. And I was waiting for it to reveal itself. And it was Thich Nhat Hanh. So it was kind of strange. I had seen one picture of Thich Nhat Hanh and I thought, wow, this guy's supposed to be 80. He looks 40. What an interesting person. So anyway, that was my first destination. And I stayed there for almost seven months. So by the time I left there and all my accumulated uh, spiritual, I guess, strength, uh, I felt very strong. And I was, my heart was wide open, but my feet were very grounded and my mind was really solid. Um, but I did get, I did have experiences that did shift me big time out of this and put me into irrational, saving myself, um, judgmental, all of these things as well. And this, these were, these were some events that happened and they're isolated events uh, that I'm not going to go into now, but that did challenge me big time. And I was very disappointed in myself. Very, um, but I, I, I had to overcome them because if I didn't overcome them, then I would be lost again in creating my own misery, <laughs> mm -hmm. which I learned that this is what happens when we do have a situation that comes up. We are challenged. We go down this I'm no good rule or they're no good rule, and I needed to chop that. But most of the time, going with the flow just means waiting for things to occur or for, to, to almost lead us. But it stems from your creation, from your mind or from my mind creation. I created my mind, this, and it's not visual almost, it's more like a conversation. I'd like to do this, I think this is over. Um, where do I go next? And I just sort of put it out there and then it kind of reveals itself. And so, then I make my decision almost at the last moment so to go somewhere. The problem is now we have to, we have to buy a ticket out of countries. They won't let you in the country until you have a ticket to get out of the country, which is not what I experienced in in many other countries. I didn't really need to have that, but now I'm experiencing that in Asia. So my, I have to now plan my exit and entrance. Let's talk about manifesting. So, so this inspiration comes to you. Do you believe that's from yourself or do you believe that's from something else, something beyond you? Well, I really feel it's something from beyond. Um, and I, I think that there's a reality there, too. So, for example, what enters into our mind is 99% unconscious. So it just comes from memory. It comes from um, ancestors. It comes from conditioning. It comes from beliefs. It comes from how many times we've repeated something. So our feedback is coming from the mind that is totally unconscious. To be conscious means to actually go into a space that you are changing, you're, you're bringing your unconscious conscious. And it takes probably decades to do. But to be aware of that actually helps me a lot. It helps me to the point where, okay, so I, am, can, I can choose from what's processing in my mind. And, and when I do choose it in a conscious manner, then I am 
I am at least above the game. I haven't completely shifted the unconscious to conscious yet, but I'm consciously choosing what's popping up in my mind, whether that seems rational or not. So you still are accepting that you have choice, although if you're inspired to go to say, say your next place is to go to Italy and you have a good feeling, a strong feeling to go there, I mean, you can always say no, but what happens when you say no? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I would have to put it into something that I had said no to before. Um, I think it just diminishes. If it's, if it's not, I think it really just diminishes. So it, it's kind of like the ego hanging on to something and then, you know, it's kind of like why... I, I don't let it bother me if I say no or if I say yes. I In the yes, I'm in the yes, and in the no, I'm in the no. Does that, it, I'm not really attached to, oh, my goodness, I didn't go to this place. And as a matter of fact, I've been to places where other people are going, and they're seeing different things than me. And I'm like, wow, I didn't see that, and I'm happy for them. And I'm happy that I get to experience what, they're, what I didn't in that same country. It's all okay. So that's part of the flow, too. Where are you at in flow right now? Are you, do you think that you're experiencing maybe some growth in your flow? Like, do you think that flow is changing in itself and how it comes to you and how you perceive it? Well, it definitely has changed me from, from comparing to what I was like in my um, corporate life. <laughs> There's no doubt um I do still bring in analysis and all of that, but that's more so to do with a concept or an idea that I'm planning or, you know, maybe a school, something for the kids and or something for my class or something for, so there's, there, I have that, but I'm not poised at really having to make money really having to have this, really needing this. Absolutely not. I don't have that anymore. Where before I felt that if I didn't have this one dish, you know, it just nagged at me forever <laughs> until I bought it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where now it's about bed, sleep, like sleep, I need a bed to sleep. I need food. I need to, I need to experience the place that I'm in. And I need to figure out how I'm going to make some money to keep me here. So I'm creating, I'm creating jobs. So working for a small school that was started. I started a small school with a family. It lasted one year, but I knew I was ready to leave and, and they were already, you know, separating. So it was like, oh my goodness, um, let's get out of this now. So that was a sign, you know. So then coming into all of a sudden leaving this education, educational uh, opportunity, which was one year, it closed, great. Then all of a sudden I go and meet up with people who had asked me to meet up with them prior, six months or something before, or many months anyway, before I finally said yes. But that was because timing was right. I didn't push it. There was an opening. And they came into my mind. So it was like, oh, yeah, before I leave Vietnam, I absolutely have to see these people. Called them up, bing, bang, boom. It was like so automatic. Yes, you're welcome. We remember you. Come, da, 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 da. And while I was there, a whole new opportunity opened up for me. And that is workshops and teaching through workshops, which I never thought of, which I'm not sure is going to actually work, but it's something that is opening up a new door, a completely, completely new door. As you can see from my resume, which is not a resume, but it's a list of all the industries that I've been in. I didn't do these from planning. Some people do, but I did not. Some people want to know, okay, I'm going to go from this place and this place, and I'm going to learn about that. No, they just came. So what you're saying is like there were gifts brought to you. Exactly. This was, I mean, they all have been gifts in one way or another, even the suffering, as we know. 
but um, a gift to be teaching, gift to be teaching uh, in a school that is not even a school. It's been invented. And we just go from there. And these are amazing. <laughs> they don't happen all the time. <laughs> so what is it like between spaces of surrendering? You go into um, a job or whatever it is, and you're flowing for that year, and you feel it's coming to an end. Is there any anxiety? Or do you just have a trust that it's going to work out? Yeah, for me, there always is. I think that it is. Uh, it stems from when I left home. You know, separation anxiety, which I tapped out, to be honest with you. I tapped it out, but in my heart, I think my heart was broken. But I, sh I closed the door to the shadow. So I suffered, uh, I suffered inwardly without actually consciously knowing it because I didn't bring the suffering to realization. So I think that any time I leave, any time I leave, yeah, it doesn't matter where I am, I go through a spout of suffering, of, of leaving. Um, and it is, there is a little bit of fear in there as well because I never actually know kind of what I'm going to be doing in the next place that I'm going or even know where I'm going. So do you think you can find some solace in a non-duality kind of thought or belief system? Like, is there yeah, a way yeah. of erasing that old, that old pattern that of hurt, that abandoned pattern? Yeah, I think it's diminishing mm -hmm. because I'm conscious of it. And I, I don't, it doesn't last very long. It lasts maybe a few hours. Like I'm not, you know what I'm saying? It's very, it, it's from the point of knowing that it's time to go to, to the point of going. It's really small. It's this, <gasps> I know I'm going. And, you know, within a few hours now it's gone. It's, it's not very much. I used to get confused with the message, well, what does that mean? If maybe it's a message, maybe I shouldn't go. But now I realize that it's just my subconscious conditioning of, of, uh, of separation anxiety. I don't know who coined separation anxiety. I think it was Freud, but um, it could have been Jung, I'm not sure. So uh, maybe off topic, but did you ever have like a victim mindset in your years of living and of being course. married? The victim mind was part of my depression. Mm. Everybody was doing everything to me. So the at the event, which I've been working on a lot, so fascinating. So learning that the event, the time and the point when it happened, which is was part of my awakening, I realized that, oh my God, at the point in time when it happened, everything, all the anger, all the shame, all the everything that had been uh, basically suppressed came as well as my shame and my anger and my fear about losing my family because the door was closed. They closed the door. Mm -hmm. So at that, at that point, I continued the story for so many years. But when the awakening happened, I realized that, that at the event, I had an opportunity to choose differently. And then right after the event to the day that I, I realized that I could choose differently and that I should have chose differently. I had all opportunity in between those 10 years. Every single minute I had opportunity to change what was going on in my psyche, in my mind. The problem was, is that I had fed my unconscious my unconscious, so much sorrow, sadness, everything that I became sorrow, sadness, but it was selective because in my daytime, I was another person. I wore the mask. So um, yes, during that point, it was all about the victim. I was the victim. Mm -hmm. Why could they do this to me? How could this happen? Why am I in this situation? They are to blame, not me. These are the kind of things going on in my mind. Uh, so, yeah, and, and hmm, how can I say, and the process of that 
or not say the building blocks of that began when I was probably about three or four years old, where I was a victim, but I never expressed it. I didn't know I was a victim. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. But we only, when we, when we, in our, how can I say this? In our small world right now, from let's say the 1940s to now, we have accumulated wealth of knowledge, which is all labels, really. So all of these labels give us something that we can, hmm, we can compare ourselves with or evaluate ourselves with or pinpoint who we might be at specific times. So yes, at that time I was the victim, but I was also many other things. Mm-hmm. I was in the victim place with my event the event when the door closed. But I was also caring person to my husband, fun person, an interested person in many things, and also a huge person in the sense of going out and making money and meeting people and business and, you know, challenges like this. So I don't know how somebody could stay completely sad for 10 years, day in, day out, 24 hours a day. I don't see it possible. So it does surround itself around an event and it does surround itself around opportunity and it does surround itself around other things going on in your life. What was your your second awakening what, what was the trigger? What was the thing that caused oh, that? Oh, that is an awesome question. You know what it was? God damn it, I need to forgive them. <laughs> and you know what? I started thinking, yeah, I have to forgive them. I'm going to feel better if I forgive them. I'll forgive them. I'll forgive them. And it didn't work. Forgiveness did not work, man. I mean, forgiveness if you did something wrong. Oh, man, I'm so sorry, you know, or, oh, don't worry about it. Okay, that, that's cool, right? But this is like deep pain. And this is like deep, uh, much deeper than that. And, and also all of my, also of my years of blaming and shaming, how can I forgive them? And when I started forgiving them, what I felt was a miracle. I felt like I was the one above them. And that did not feel right. It was like, oh, I forgive you for hurting me and I forgive you for this. And then I was thinking, things started popping up into my mind. Well, you know, you were the one that actually stayed crying. You were the one that it's not, they didn't force you to do that. They just closed the door. So basically going, Trying, trying to forgive them was the trigger for me, if you want to call it a trigger, but the opening for me that made me realize that I was actually, that they don't need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's like you need to let go. You need to let go of the struggle that you are creating. I needed to go through, I needed to let go of the idea that it was them that was hurting me. Mm-hmm. And move into taking responsibility. Absolutely. Taking responsibility for my 10 years of keeping myself in the sadness, keeping myself as a victim. Mm-hmm. We keep ourselves as a victim, we are victimized at an event. And afterwards, we continue the victimhood. Do you think that your parents were also victims in their life? Well, of course. That was my very first awakening. So my very first awakening at 16 made me see that my parents were a product of their own conditioning and of their own abuse. So, I mean, my father was, or my stepfather was definitely abused. Um, And I have reasons for that, but that is another thing altogether. And I know that my mother was abused 
And I know that they came from very difficult, strange families. And I didn't think of those things until I had this awakening that made me open up to this. I would have never have opened up to that without that awakening. What calls that awakening, I, I think, were the books that I was reading. But the books that I was reading, I don't know where that came from. So let's move to some of your travels. What was what is the most rewarding place you've been and why? Wow. Rewarding. That's sort of like so many different things are popping into my mind. Mm -hmm. I, I can say all of them have had their rewarding aspects. Um, being in Senegal, Africa. It, the rewarding aspects, there were so many. There were the realization um, oh, on so many levels, I don't even know where to begin. Let's take a simple thing. So let's I'm start with only simple things with the children, the children of Senegal, and being able to create a football team for them and, um, and have them, uh, you know, I don't know, like I hired a, not hired a coach, but there was a coach. I, I didn't spend any money on it. All I did was do all of the creative work and show this young 17-year-old boy who walked in as I was thinking. I was thinking, I'll tell you the story from the beginning. I was thinking in my mind, what am I going to do for these children? Ba-bang, something popped into my mind. You need a coach. Coach, and I was like, Oh, I'll create a football team. That's what I'll do because these kids are barefoot, they're playing in really bad areas. And so, this kind of all came into a download realization. And within a, I, I'm literally a few minutes, this boy walks in who uh, lives in a different house, but in, in Senegal, Africa, or in any country that is. Um, developing or nearing or third world, everybody's house is everybody's house. Uh, so this boy walks into the house that I'm staying in, which there's many other people, and I look at him and I go, my God, there's my coach. And there was no, <laughs> no question. He just, as soon as I, I opened up my mouth, it was like, yes, and we can do this and we can do that and I've got the place and I know the people and we can, it was all right. So to me, this is a, a very rewarding uh, aspect of Senegal. In other countries, other rewards were to be completely immersed in Islam, for example, when I was in Muslim countries and living with women um, in, I'm going to say, Jordan. <clears throat> So living with a group, uh, living with one woman and then living in a masjid, living in an actual mosque, living in the bottom area and the mosque was above. But every day at four o'clock, we'd get up and we would do get prepped for salah. And then at five o'clock, all the other women would come and I would pray with them. At the beginning, these women did not like me. They kind of rejected me, except for the one that I was living with. And by the end, we were all so close. We could not even speak the same language. So we were just talking on energy. And my devotion to, to any religion, because I am in that religion, is 100% whenever I'm there. So that's another reward a reward living with an Islamic family in their house of four children and being their backslash child, backslash sister. Um, wow. Being able to record khutbah, being able to record um, gatherings of Islamic people to they're talking about their difficulties with regard to um, Israel. Um, living in Palestinian areas and um, being with people and them sharing food and 
care and love and um, I mean, all of these are rewarding. I mean, I cannot even stop. I, I, the end is not even in, in proximity here. There isn't one country that I haven't been rewarded. What was it like living with a king? That was very, very bizarre. <laughs> can you tell I us? To, can you tell us which uh, one it was? Bissau. It took, it took boats and mud crossings and <laughs> backtracking to find this place. The person that I was with at that time had to go to this place and invited me and another person to go. So there was three of us on this voyage. And one was from the area a little bit that we were visiting. And I was completely not from that area. And, uh, and the other one was Senegalese and never went there anyway. So the three of us tracked down this place. Language changes from uh, Creole, I think it is. So there's Senegalese, English, Creole, French going on. And when the purpose for going there, I will leave out because it's another story. But when we were there, um, it was easy for me to, 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 to merge because I had already ex some experiences of merging with cultures. And I started hanging out with the girls and it was like, oh my gosh. I mean, these girls had to carry water. And I mean, down a hill, like really rugged hills, not long pathways, but really rugged areas. And they had to do this hard work. And then I realized, oh my God, there's like 30 of them. And all of them were the king's wives. And that... I mean, I had already, <laughs> I had already been through the four wife thing, and I lived with uh, uh, women who had one husband, and the women were the four wives of the sheikh. Already been there. I've done that maybe once or twice. Definitely once on the borderline of twice. But living within a household of twenty-six wives was pretty whoa. On top of that, every almost every day there's a baby being born. I mean, or every month. While I was there, a baby was born, and I think nobody could even tell which, like, was it the hundredth and tenth or the hundredth or eleventh baby being born from this one king? He also owned a large piece, uh, like he owning this large piece of land. The women are told, and um, probably are better off married to him than anybody else. Um, so living there though, uh, I'm just going to say a comfort zone, I slept on concrete floor, small thin little layer of blanket and no light other than, you know, just a small flashlight. And I was comfortable, I slept rather well and food was whatever you get half the time don't know what i'm eating and um so there you go that was it it was in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and living with shares and their families is very interesting as well similarities but uh the difference between the king is there was no real religion it was he was the religion like he's the god kind of thing. He's the controller. He's the government, the controller, the, all of, and everything. People come to him with problems, but he doesn't use the Bible. He uses intellect and logic. So that was uh, that was different, because most of my experience at that point were based on some sort of, um, yeah, based on some sort of religion or some sort of theoretical. Uh, concepts or things like this, where this was not. That's a very interesting story. It sure is. Yeah. I've got a picture of the newborn baby and him. It's like, 
freaking out. <laughs> very, very. I, I mean, I didn't freak out, but I think I do now because it's comparing. Like when you when you are there, you are there. If you're a traveler, which you are, you understand when you're there, you're there. You know. Mm-hmm. It's a good lesson on being with the flow. So, with all your traveling and whatnot, how present are you now that you've been doing this journey? I'm present. I think. I don't know. I mean, being in the new makes you present. I feel it has a, you're you're open, you're curious, you're, you're one, you're, you've got like a little bit of, you're conscious of your body, you're conscious of your feelings, you're, you know, I find that that, depending on those rare countries where we don't go often, I feel that I'm more present in any of those, more open to. Uh, in Vietnam, I had to, I had to, I had to consciously bring presence in, because I was there for a year. At the beginning, no, I didn't. It was presence was there. Uh, now in Malaysia, I find I need to bring presence in mainly because there's quite a lot of similarities to Western country. It's a, it's a highly developing, quickly developing country. And there is, at least I have not been to any parts of the country that are, that have anything that I'm not familiar with. Do you think that being in a place longer might be an invitation to move deeper into presence without the safety net of newness? Of course. Yeah, of course, because the, as you say, that's interesting, the safety net of newness. Yeah, and I mean, I don't plan anything in the sense of, okay, I'm going to stay here this long. I'm, it might pop into my mind. It might pop into my mind, okay, maybe I'll be here for a year, which it did in Vietnam, but I still didn't know whether I would be there for a year or not. And... Yeah, moving into presence is a state of being, and I'm often in and out of presence, which I don't mind. I'm not freaked out about that. So going into presence for me is is nice to do when I feel I need to. Maybe it's because when I want to get creative or something like this, I want to have the freedom to express a lot more. My my inner feelings, no, I don't like that. Oh, I like that. You know, where presence doesn't, presence in in its perfect form means that you are with self as is. And, And for me, when I'm wanting to create, I find I am mainly because I'm not creating from a pen and paper point of view. If you're creating from just that short extension, then maybe your presence is a lot more because you are really creating from that space. But when I'm creating, it's more on the computer. (laughs) So my computer relationship is heavy. So don't you create from divine self or divine presence? Not always. Um, I create also from the desire to to create a particular thing. So already divine self has told me, divinity has already told me or has already showed me that this is where I should be, this is where I should be focusing my energy. So now, last for the last uh, five years, it was teaching English as a second language. Now it's workshops. So in order for me to do that, I find I am challenged so much with my limitations with computers that that gets in my way of being present. Yeah, I could say oh, okay, maybe maybe I'm being shown not to do this because of my limitations 
with the computer. Or maybe I shouldn't do this because I'm having trouble fitting this kind of thing in here and not. But I seem to not actually take those as messages. I take those as challenges as to whether or not I'm serious about it or not. Right. So when, when divine presence comes in for me is when I step away from the computer and I say, okay, I can't deal with that. I've done enough. I need now to take a break. So in that place of taking a break, I will do many different things. I will do maybe um, some yoga, maybe lying down, maybe going for a walk, maybe uh, looking at myself in the mirror and mm -hmm. saying, I'm proud of you, you <laughs> did this, these kind of things. So to me, that, that is divine presence, taking a break from the computer. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, yes, how I cannot separate them. But as I know, I am duality. <laughs> you know, I try. I, I attempt, the, and I actually making quite a lot of progress in falling in love with my computer and falling in love with, um, with some of the things that I'm doing, creating uh, pages which is very difficult actually, business pages. To me, it's so challenging, but there are many moments of falling in love and then there are also many moments of frustration. So I, I'm not afraid of the frustration. It's, I'm not going to grab onto them. They're not going to become me. Mm -hmm. They are an event, an event in time that I can say, oh, I was frustrated doing that and it's gone. So sometimes during the frustrations, do you get messages like from the source, from the universe, letting you know that you're on your, your, your correct path? Yeah, because I'm not happy. So any, I think emotions at that point are, are what tells us we're not on, on divine path. So that's why I need to step away. So I've done the creating, et cetera, and et cetera, and maybe my approach at it could change a little bit. And that could probably um, make the momentum of my creating a little easier. But for me, I think it's just technology. It's just a lack of, I, I, I'm not born, I'm not born into this techno world. I just find it quite challenging. Um, but I'm doing it. And I did all of my my teaching, all of the teaching things, everything I pretty much designed. I hardly, I used pictures, but everything I designed and it was all on the computer. So I'm sort of going through the same process again, designing workshops with color, with information, and then I'm taking my breaks. Can you give me an example of the last time you experienced an event, an event that expanded your awareness? Maybe something that was where you moved from struggle to expansion. I know that there's quite a few of them, but they're not they're not huge. They're not like they're not like life shattering or life opening or life changing. But I think they come all the time. So I'm speaking with a woman even just yesterday, and I noticed myself, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I, this, for example, this person did not spoke basically for two hours and I had, um, maybe about 10 minutes of speaking, which I had to actually say, wait a second, wait a second, I'm getting a message so that I could give her a message. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but during that time, I noticed that I, I just couldn't take it. So I, I would actually block myself, I take the, my headphones off and not listen because it, it, it was full on information. And in that, to me, 
for what I realized was, you know, I have I have to work on my ability to have more patience or my ability to to absorb more. I'm a great listener, but wow, two hours of I, that that is just not. I don't even listen to music half the time. <laughs> so it, it was very challenging. So this was an awakening that. My goodness, you know, how could I, how could I do this? It was, it was almost rude of me to do this. And in our, in our existence now, we're able to tap into each other if we really want to. We can really tap into, you know, being with somebody else just by our minds. Period. We can do that. I've had people say, you know, did, did you? Did you pop into my mind? And it's like, yep, I did. And you popped into mine. And it was like, yeah. So we can do that now. So in my ability to not be there fully for that person that could not stop speaking, I I feel I feel guilty about that. So that's an awakening in a way to recognizing that my 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 actions, even though I know this from my mind. I have to be reminded that my actions are in the field. And she probably pricked up on it, which I don't know if she did or not. It didn't, her, her ability to keep on going, kept, she wasn't stopping. So I don't know. So these kind of things are our awakenings as well, whether they're big or small. This is definitely one about an uh, habitual or not habitual thing, but something because I don't, I can't really resonate to habit because I've never experienced this before. Mm-hmm. But something that came from my, from not my willing to do, but that I didn't want. I didn't want that. I would have preferred to be able to be present for her with open ears that I was not. You know what's interesting? When, as I'm saying this, I'm reflecting back to when I was, I, I was with Thich Nhat Hanh, and I used to actually hold, um, not dharmas, but sit-ins where we would um, meditate and then we would talk openly about what was going on in our life or what was going on inside us at that time. And that seemed very different. And I think it's because it was planned. This is what we're doing. We prepared ourselves. We meditated. We had an opportunity to ground. We had an opportunity to look at each other through loving eyes. We had an opportunity to open our heart. And we knew what we were getting into. Even though the messages from everybody could last hours if they wanted to. We were still there for them. In this case, it was it wasn't like that. It was just so and this might this now to me what's coming is this was an excuse. So there is another awakening, <laughs> if you want to call them that. And I think the more that we realize that almost everything that comes out of our mouth is an awakening or everything that happens to us is an opportunity to learn or to accept and, and, hmm, and face, maybe the more we, we grow, I, I don't know. But I liked your question. Thank you. So one thing I like to ask people I talk to is what is one of the last things that made you cry out of joy? Well, both of them. So yesterday I got caught in pouring rain and I was unable to move. And so was everybody else. <laughs> we were stuck under all kinds of different levels of uh, roofs. And each of these level roofs, of these levels of roofs, there'd be pouring rain. So we had to really stay in sort of like one spot. And there was, oh my goodness, I don't know, there was maybe 50, 50 of us all scattered in different areas. And what was nice is that we all stopped. It was a moment in time where this is almost unreal. Everybody is so on the move. running across, getting across the street, going here, hailing down a cab, but nobody could move. (laughs) 
And it gave me a lot of joy. It, it made me feel so good. It was like we could actually see each other. And um, that was a great feeling. And the last, the last thing that made me cry <clears throat> is kind of interesting. I am a big crier, actually. I have a, I, I, I actually cry very easily. I cry happy, I cry sad, like tears come very easily. And yesterday I was trying to do something on the computer and it wasn't working. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm just not supposed to do this. Maybe I'm not supposed to do workshops. Maybe I'm supposed to do something else. And then tears came. So it wasn't crying, but it was sort of like, ah. So You're, even though I, I feel very, very confident that this is what I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. I am also very knowing, and this might shock you, but I'm also very knowing at the same time as, as soon as we make a decision, that decision starts to deteriorate or to become um, not become its end. It's like the second we are born, we are dying. It's like as soon as creation develops, destruction of it is starting. Yeah, I totally get that. But I understand that with creating something, it it always has to have that destructive energy come with it because it has to end somewhere. But that creative force can flow for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I was when I started teaching, I realized I wasn't going to be teaching for long. But my creativeness, in the sense of creating um, uh, lesson plans and creating uh, groups and creating pairs and you know um, uh, creating interest and all of those things, are what kept me there. And. And actually, now I'm taking those kind of similar creations into this because I have to plan the workshop. I have to come up with ideas. I have to, and actually, they're not. Com- I, they're actually coming very easily. All of the ideas and all of the creativity is coming easily. It is the technology that is my gets in my way, but it is a lot better than it was. I have made friends, and there is a dance between us, much better than there was prior to, uh, let's say, around February. So that's important. So change is always there. And to motivate change into our direction, we have to be conscious of it. Because change could be there. I could throw the, I could have thrown the, the laptop out the window, and that would have been changed. But I didn't. I stayed with it. I said, "Okay, I've got a problem with it. Okay, what am I going to do about that? I'm going to say, I'm going. Things are going to come. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to learn. I'm going to know. I'm going to have those opportunities, and that's what's happening." I'm going completely off subject, and I'm asking you, what is love? What is love? Love too. <laughs> well, it's certainly not sex. We know that. Um, it's certainly not desire. Oh, I love that. I feel that it is a state of mind. And the state of mind, and I know this is going to be, I feel it's cliche now. It's to have unconditional love. It's unconditional it's um, compassionate. Um, it is also so aware of its infinite life that it will turn the other cheek. It will be able to send love to the one who has a gun at your chest. It is, it is periods of time in our lifetime that we will never be able to be continuous with until we reach much higher states of being than we are right now. But we will get glimpses into unconditional love, compassion, and the ability to turn the other cheek, as well as many other things. That's love. 
what is the highest state of being we can journey to or endeavor to experience? Well, most people will think it's happiness and joy and um, calmness and relaxed and etc. But I'm 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 assuming that it is beyond that because these are human these are human um, abilities, and and obviously, like you said too, that we can tap into these higher states, which are beyond just being happy or content or you know, they're being absolutely, wow, out of this world, mystic, ethereal. They are unconditional. They're floating. They're, they're places where, I don't know whether you have been before to these places. I have. I have actually been part of the flower <laughs> as I'm, I'm, I'm immersed in its incredible beauty. I'm walking with the trees and dancing with the ocean and completely feel their presence. Now, I don't know if that's a highest of the highest state of being, but I know it's higher than joy and happiness. So there obviously is higher, but I, I can connect with them, but to be them all the time, no. At that point in time, I was two weeks in that state. Two weeks in the same state? In the state of mystical state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that come about? Well, again, I mean, I didn't say, okay, here I am, I'm going to be in that state. I didn't even know that there was that kind of state of available. <laughs> At that time, there was no store that I had been to that had that kind of <laughs> that kind of state of being. Um, I was with um, I was with a group of maybe a hundred and some odd people, and I was really just resonating, you know, with them and resonating with uh, the facilitator, resonating with the information, resonating with the the water and the I just so free this was the first time I had actually went somewhere almost I, I guess maybe about after I had this awakening where where I was responsible for my own self but it was it was in that time this was like a huge blessing I, I was I was dancing with structures I was touching structures and feeling the, the aliveness in them and the stone and walking on stone, small stones. And very, very bizarre, very interesting and very beautiful mm -hmm. beyond anything I've experienced. Could you call that space grace? I don't know. I call it divine. I call it divine because I was them and they were me. There was no separation. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, there's I'm walking and they're not, but they were walking with me. <laughs> um, and I was able to actually touch into a little bit of that when I was with Thich Nhat Hanh and um, with walking meditation. With walking meditation, I could feel that the trees and the, the leaves and everything were speaking with me, not in a language, hi, how are you, but with a vibration. And just my passing a tree, I could feel, you know, hey, how are you? <laughs> not with words, but with vibration. We mm -hmm. could vibe, we saw each other as we were. Light and energy and love and all of this. And this was after, Tignat Han was after my experience in Mexico. And of course I can still do that now. I can bring it in. And of course I've done it on my journey as well. Um, Baalbek, touching the stone Baalbek and dancing on the stones there. Wow. 
you know, just even connecting by, by touching, you know, by touching the stone. Oh my gosh, yeah, just wonderful. And so, yes, there is a higher state of being from my experience. What's your process on bringing it in? You say you can access it now. Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of it is slowing down. Slowing down and in the moment. And being present. So being present for me can teacher into that plane well even sometimes more than teacher is that plane deborah i hate to tell you this but we're out of time <laughs> it seems like it just started so thank you thank you thank you for yeah, thank you too i mean this is really great because to be able to um recall it's so important. This podcast is Expansion Cast. Thank you for listening.